Hi there. Welcome back to our Sweetie Heels 2020 speaker interview series. All of our speakers have amazing stories to tell and are great resources for anyone who wants to innovate in healthcare 3D printing and bioprinting. And the intention behind these interviews is to decrease the distance between our speakers and the audience before 3D Heels 2020. And you can think of them as icebreakers for you by us. Today, we're fortunate to have Steve Kranz, a senior material scientist from Origin, a SF-based startup, to join us for a short interview. Steve is going to be one of the speakers for the material science panel for 3D Hills 2020. Hi, Steve. Oh, hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So I know that you're doing fascinating work at Origin, uh, and Origin is a startup focusing on open additive production company, and a bunch of new terms, basically. Why don't you tell us what is Origin doing and what is so significant in the material science space for 3D printing? Sure, yeah. So what Origin is, is we're, we're building our own 3D printers and the software to, to manufacture them. And um, as a lot of people talk about, there's kind of three main points of, of 3D printing or additive manufacturing, and that's the software, the hardware, and the materials. And so what we're focusing on is the hardware and really the software to run it. Uh, our founders are both software engineers. Um, and so it's kind of uh, finding the right software to make everything work. And as far as the materials, um, kind of our interesting or different kind of uh, business idea there is we don't make materials at all. So a lot of other material com or 3D printer companies make their own materials, they have them in house. Um, but we decided to basically totally punt on that completely. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, a, there's a big benefit to that. So one is that um, to make materials, it's, it's really difficult. It's really hard. You need, a lot of, you need a lot of lab space. You need a lot of chemists and, and equipment. Um, it's all very, very expensive. And um, even if you had, like, even if half of our company was making materials, that's just a tiny little group compared to some really large uh, material providers out there. So instead, what we're doing is we're creating an open platform uh, and trying to form partnerships with material companies. So we've, we have partnerships right now with uh, BASF, Henkel, DSM, and, and a number of uh, other companies as well. And so what that's doing is it's kind of leveraging their power and their expertise to make materials. So instead of competing with them, we're partnering with them. Um, it saves us a lot of time and energy and uh, it benefits the other companies as well because they, don't, they can focus on what their strengths are, which is the chemistry, and they don't have to uh, fiddle around with trying to build their own 3D printers, which some of our partners have tried to do, but it's, they actually find pretty quickly it's, it's a lot harder than they think and kind of a big headache. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the idea behind Origin, about being open. Yeah, no, I, I love the idea. You know, before my interest in 3D printing started, you know, as my background as a, as a physician, I never thought I would ever talk to a material scientist. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right about Origin being a much smaller company compared to those bigger chemical companies, because I know a lot of them are actually employing entire town. You know, generations of people actually work for these giant material science or material companies that we don't really know on a day-to-day -day basis, but they're so important to our daily lives. So yeah, and I'm super excited about what you're doing at Origin. 
But I read your written interview. I have to say, Steve, you are, I would say, one would call a Renaissance man. Yeah. You have a, such an interesting journey, earlier journey. I mean, you're still very young, but you have an interesting early journey. And, and then just the way that you're, you know, your daily activities, your hobbies. So the reason why we're doing these interviews is so that the audience can get to know our speakers before the conference. And it's in a, in a way, it's an icebreaker, and I'm helping them. So I want to just explore a little bit of your earlier career, uh, perhaps start with your high school uh, journey, and then how you become a material scientist, and then now working with Origin. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, in high school, I, you know, I like math and science a lot. Um, I was always pretty good at it. Um, uh, but then when I was in uh, our 11th grade English class, we had to make a group video on Hamlet. And we had a lot of fun writing it. It was just kind of like a parody of, of, of the play. And it was my job to do the editing for the video. And I, I loved it. I just kind of really fell in love with video editing. And I decided like I wanted to be a filmmaker. I was really interested in animation. Um, we had some like hand-drawn animations and, and uh, I really liked doing that and helping with that. Um, so when I went to, when I was applying to colleges, I was applying to be a film major. Um, and eventually uh, I went to Arizona State and I was a film major there for the first uh, semester, but um, I didn't really like feel like I fit in the program. Um, so I decided to switch to another one of my hobbies, which was graphic design. I spent a lot of time in like in high school on Photoshop and messing around with there. So I really liked that. And um, after about three days of that, uh, I decided to switch again. Uh, the classes were just, they were a little too soft for me, I guess. I, I didn't feel like I was gonna get the hands-on experience that I wanted. Um, so I had a, uh, my uncle was living in, in Phoenix and he was a chemistry teacher and, and knew someone in the material science department at, at Arizona State. And he, he said, just go talk to that guy. And so I talked to the, the head of the department and kind of told me about it, uh, what material science was. Um, I really had no idea at the point. And I was like, well, seems good enough. And uh, I, just, I, I just went into that field and, and stuck with it. And I really liked it. Um, so after I, I graduated, I, I really didn't know what I was going to do. So I was like, grad school. Um, and I, I kind of went into the same field. And uh, it turns out it was... It was Righted, uh, you know, the uh, economic depression in like 2010 or kind of 20, 2008. So being, or yeah, 2008. And so it was about a uh, great time to be in grad school when there's no jobs. And um, yeah, so I, I did more of that in grad school. And um, I had a project where we were, we were trying to make these uh, large polishing pads for silicon wafers. And the way we were doing it was we were, uh, extruding a really tiny fat, uh, wax filament. Uh, so kind of like FDM, but the, the wax filament was a, a fugitive material. So we would actually print this a little, a very flat but wide lattice on wax, fill it with uh, epoxy resin, clean it out, and then we get a polishing wafer of that. And so I, I made some like multi-nozzle devices that would allow us to print multiple lines at once. Um, and I really liked that a lot, but... Um, I, I kind of realized I, I didn't want to get a PhD. I didn't want to uh, go deeper in that. And, and right around the time that I was about to graduate, 
my advisor moved uh, come across the country to Harvard. And uh, I had started working with another professor, uh, Professor Bill Hammock at the University of Illinois. He, uh, he's got a YouTube channel called The Engineer Guy. And uh, yeah, I just checked that, by the way. I, I went on to that channel for the first time. It's quite interesting. Yeah, he's great. I loved working with him. So I was kind of working with him as, as a grad student just on the side. And then when I graduated, I just uh, joined him full time and worked on just researching videos, editing, filming, directing uh, for about two and a half years. And it was really great, really great experience. But after a while, I kind of uh, wanted to do something else and move on. So I um, started looking for other jobs and I had a friend who was living in, in California and he kind of told me about some opportunities at Autodesk. And I applied there. I started working at, um, uh, on the Ember team. So the Autodesk Ember was uh, an open source 3D printer that was inside of, uh, inside of Autodesk. And my job there was to, I was, I think, uh, was a document uh, or a storyteller. So I was kind of uh, making videos about Ember, how it worked, um, just to kind of explain the whole idea behind the printer. And uh, so I got to do a lot of re cool research experiments on it and make videos. And um, actually, it was my fourth day on the job there at Ember where I met uh, Chris Prusha and, and Joel Ong, who are the, the co-founders of Origin. Um, at the time, they were Origin's second biggest customer. They had 10 Embers. And they really liked the Ember because it was open source. It allowed them to use their software experience to kind of program it to do uh, things that they couldn't before. So they had 10 Embers. They could automatically send jobs to it, um, have a print queue. And they were making small tags at the time that had unique serial numbers on them. So they had a script that was creating these print files with unique numbers that could send them there. And then, so I made a video about them. And, um, and about a, a year later, um, uh, an opportunity opened up at Origin and I kind of decided to switch over. And so I've been here ever since. It's been about three years. Yeah, it sounds like throughout your career, you're always mixing these creative gigs, side gigs, but always stayed on track with material science. So what kind of story do you think Origin is writing? and you writing with them right now? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, I think, you know, a lot of it is about adaptability, especially right now. Um, I think Origin has pivoted a couple times. So when Origin started, it was, uh, Chris and Joel were making the 3D producing tags themselves. And what they realized with these, when they're printing these, these kind of objects, it was actually really difficult that there is, while Ember was really great in a lot of ways, it did have some disadvantages. The, it could easily break down and, and uh, damn it, your, your printer could get damaged, so it would be down for a day. And so they realized if they needed to scale up, they would have to build their own hardware. And that's where Origin shifted to uh, building its own hardware and software. Um, and that's kind of what we've been doing for the past two, two three years. Um, and then with the, the pandemic, well, we kind of had yep. another pivot shift. Right. Um, so we're, you know, when it hit, it was kind of, you know, pretty chaotic. We're not sure what was going on. There's a whole lot of uncertainty. Um, but there was, of course, a lot of talk about 3D printing personal protective equipment. So we had a lot of people in the company that were really on that and started looking for different projects. We were, we were doing things like face shields uh, and some adapters for converting uh, snorkel masks to mm -hmm. have like filters on them. Yeah. 
and then we we saw that there's an upper, that there's a huge need for these 3D printed swabs, and so there's a number of other 3D printing companies out there that are doing the same thing, and we realized, well, we can. This is something that we can do. We can help. So now, but we've kind of, but again, it's a huge pivot because instead of producing the printers and, and selling the printers as our business model, now we're we're a swab factory. So mm. it's a whole nother. I mean, it's that's like we're a whole nother business. So we've got. Um, we're just kind of totally changing the way we work. We, instead of doing our kind of usual um, uh, startup hours where everyone just kind of works whenever, now we've got, we've got three shifts we're running, three 24-7. Wow. We've got people in here and, and we've ramped up very quickly. So we're trying to make sure we've got, got protocols and procedures. And of course the swabs are, they're FDA uh, devices. So we have to have proper... Uh, uh, documentation for all of that so it's a lot of a lot of new things for us but we've got a we've got some great people on the team who've got a lot of experience so that's been super helpful yeah i mean i think the uh the COVID-19 swaps is one subject i really love to dive deeper in in my near future just from design to manufacturing it almost sounds like this pivot is showing that there is definitive economic value actually shifting to become a producer of these swaps rather than a printer which is also something really interesting. It sounds like, I, I don't know, you know, if this is going to be a long-term uh, pivot or this is just going to be a, a temporary change for you guys, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But besides the story of origin, I know you also, uh, you kind of published a book last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that you put that in the written interview, by the way. We were going to, we will publish it. <laughs> oh, great, great. <laughs> So, yeah. Oh, that's the story of Archie. Yeah. yeah. So um, I was actually, I uh, wanted to uh, get more, uh, I was trying to be a better leader and trying to think of how I could do that. And um, one of my, my grandfather's, my father's father's cousin, uh, was Gene Kranz, he was a flight director at NASA. And uh, he wrote a memoir and called Failure is Not an Option. And I read that book and I was really inspired by it. And so I really wanted to reach out to him to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And in the process of reaching out to him, I got a hold of my grandfather's brother, uh, my granduncle Jack. And I hadn't talked to him in years. And I started talking to him and found him to be a supremely interesting guy. He, uh, he grew up, uh, he, he was a Catholic priest for 13 years, mm. living in a monastery, um, but it wasn't the life for him. So he eventually left. Uh, kind of worked odd jobs all across the country, and eventually moved back to uh, Toledo, Ohio to take care of his aging parents. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was, uh, he was kind of lonely by himself and he wanted to, to find a mate. So he put an ad out in the, uh, the local newspaper, the Toledo Blade. This is 1986. Okay, I was gonna ask how long ago this was. <laughs> and, um, Nine years old to try to find a mate. I love that spirit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he, uh, he put an ad on the newspaper and he was still very religious. So his ad read, Isaac seeks Rebecca having a great love for the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. <laughs> and he got 15 responses. Wow. And he wrote back to nine of them. And then none of those nine responded back. And that was kind of the end of that. Well, one copy of this paper made its way into a trash can 
in a prison in Chillicothe, Ohio, about 200 miles south. And uh, a prisoner, Archie Floyd, was on the way to the bathroom, pulled the, the newspaper out of the, the trash can, read my granduncle's uh, note, and then he wrote to him. He said, uh, you sound like a good Christian man. Do you care? Do you care that my family's given up on me? Do you care that I can't afford toothpaste? Do you care that I don't have faith in God anymore? And then my granduncle wrote back, he said, of course I care. And that exchange started a 20 year friendship between the two of them. Wow. Archie, Archie called my granduncle dad. They had this kind of father son relationship. Um, and so Archie, he was, he was kind of in and out of jail his whole adult life. Uh, he, he, for mostly for like breaking into cars and, and violating parole and, and kind of smoking crack. And um, so one time Archie was, uh, was back in jail and this is after my, my granduncle met him and my granduncle encouraged him to write his life story down. So while Archie was in prison on a typewriter, he typed up a manuscript about his memoir of his life and um, about 200 pages. And um, they, they actually got, they got 10 copies printed and then Archie had given them out to women that he was pursuing over the years, um, which presumably was not successful because it didn't really help him out. But um, so all those copies had been lost and there was just one, the original manuscript was left. My, uh, my granduncle had it. Um, and so Archie died in, in 2006. Um, I never met him, never talked to him. But um, I was talking to Grenkel and I, I asked him, I was like, I, I really wanted to see the manuscript. So I asked him to mail it to me um, and he did. And so he mailed it to me, but um, I, I didn't get it. I, about three days, but three days after I expected it to arrive, uh, I got a message uh, online um, saying, hey, I found your manuscript. So someone, what apparently had happened was it was delivered to my doorstep. I was supposed to sign for it, but it was on my doorstep. Someone stole it, ripped it open, saw it was just a bunch of paper and threw it on the ground. Hmm. Well, a neighbor two blocks away found it, collected all the pages, found my name on the on the packaging and found me on social media and wow. got it to me with everything there. And um, so it was, I was, and then I, I just kind of read through it and I, I thought about it and I was like, um, Archie's life story is, is literally in my hands. So um, I figured that I would just, I would publish it. I would self-publish it. Um, I had published a, a book with Bill Hammock before. Um, so I, he kind of introduced me to the idea. So I kind of knew the basics how to do it. And I, I knew that it wasn't hard. It wasn't going to be expensive. I just had to take the time to do it. Yeah. So I, I scanned the, I scanned the pages, I digitized it and uh, edited it kind of very lightly and uh, formatted it into a book form and then got it published online. It's all published. Um, and uh, that was kind of it. And then I, I, got to send a copy to my granduncle Jack and my Aunt Marcia and, and they both read it and, and they loved it. So it's pretty good. Well, yeah, there are a couple of things. You know, Steve, we just met first time, actually not even in person, <laughs> I would say. There are a couple of things I like about you. One is that you like to dig deep. It doesn't matter if it's material science or work or anything that you find fascinating and sometimes people kind of stop you know a level two but you kind of go way way down to level 10 and actually finish it so that's pretty impressive and the other thing is 
I like the fact that you like to also be the storyteller. Um, I think this is a skill I personally also like to horn in to, to polish more, uh, starting from these kind of interviews to a podcast and to just a conference altogether is trying to figure out a way to really tell great stories for our industry, all the people in there. Um, I'm also very fascinated with the individuals in, in, the, in our ecosystem because everybody's got just amazing story to tell, um, different life journey. You know, the way that you pick your major is different from a different angle from the way I pick my, my major to become a doctor. So, but I'm super appreciative that you are spending time with me today to have this interview so that we can get to know you uh, a lot more, hopefully even more uh, during the conference or even now you can, you know, everybody can download the app and start networking. So I very much look forward to your participation at the conference in a couple of weeks and hopefully we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. I'm honored to have you tell me that. I appreciate it. Thanks.